All right, give the Lord a hand this morning. All right, you may be seated. All right, so something I've been thinking about for the last four months and I've been praying about a lot is now that it seems like we're coming out of the pandemic for good and good things are happening and God is starting to work. And uh, I mean, he's always been at work, but you know what I mean? In different ways as far as the church. Uh, we've, we, we had our church merger about a year and a half ago, which could not have went any better. God was so good to us. And the, the people who were here with Bethel have just been amazing and wonderful. And, uh, and God has just really blessed it in such big ways. And then we, January was our best month as a church. My, so January was our best month. We averaged 94 uh, in attendance, which was great. We hadn't seen those numbers since the, before the pandemic. If, uh, the history of Revolution Church, there was about, it was in 2019, we got up to, we were averaging 104 for the first quarter, January, February, March. And then we had a lot of families move away to other states and things like that. And then, so we hadn't seen those numbers until again this year to get close to that. And I've been really thinking and praying about this. And that is, I believe that healthy things grow. If you had a child who was a beautiful two-year-old toddler, as cute as could be, but then three years later, they're still about the same size as a two-year-old toddler, the doctors would be concerned and you would be more concerned. And so we, you know, anybody here have a green thumb? Raise your hand if you have a green thumb. Okay, you're able to grow things. Not too many hands this morning, evidently. Okay. Um, you know, if you have plants, you know, Tammy and I, we wanted to plant some fruit trees in our backyard. So we got an orange tree, a peach tree, and an apple tree. They're all dead. They are all dead. We paid some good money for those trees. We had the guy come out and put them in our backyard and fertilize them and everything like that. And we're like, not enough water? What, what was the problem? We were always putting a hose out there, but our backyard doesn't like trees, evidently. And when you see things that don't grow, there's only, one, you know, you can either die or you can grow. That's pretty much what the choice that life gives us. And so the church is not an organization. It is not an institution. It is a body. And bodies are meant to grow. And so I've been thinking about this thing. And there was several years ago I shared some of this information. And this was the perfect week to share this, you know, some of this information again. So I'm taking a break from the book of Genesis. just want to kind of have a fireside chat as a church here. Um, so if you're ready to grow, say amen. Amen. All right. So let's talk about that. Uh, a book was written that I reviewed several years ago about eight reasons why most churches don't break the 200 attendance mark. And there's certain plateaus, 100, 150, and 200, seems to be churches get stuck at. By the way, the average size church in America, Sunday morning attendance, is 65. Okay, so we're, we're slightly above average. That's good. But, you know, everybody, and what's funny is during the pandemic, the whole mega church thing has actually gone backwards. And, and that, that trend is, is, is fading. It's not fading rapidly. They're still there. But a lot of people just have the idea that people go to big churches and they don't. Most churches are our size or smaller. But I, that does not mean that we get satisfied with that, because I do believe that if we are reaching people with the gospel of Christ, we will see people getting saved, people getting baptized, people being intentionally discipled and growing in the Lord, and therefore we want to make disciples who make disciples. That's when the real success comes in, is someone that came to Christ because of Revolution Church 
And now they're bringing someone else to Christ. That's where the real victory is. And that's what we need to, to be looking for. And if those things happen, it may not just blow up, but it may systematically, gradually, like over the last year and a half, we'll start to see growth. Now, some churches, uh, let me just say this, I'm not anti-megachurch. I'm not. I think there are good churches that run 1,000. Of course, technically, a megachurch is 2,000 or more. There are churches that run 2,000, 15,000, whatever, and they're not bad. We, there's some pastors I know that they think anything that's really big is bad. They must be doing something. They must have sold their souls to the devil or whatever. And, and that, that's not true. There's some good, faithful, gospel-preaching pastors and churches that are killing it and doing a great job. There are many, though, that are not. That it's a rock concert, fog, <laughs> lamps, and feel-good sermons, don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and be sure you give plenty of money, and we'll build big, bigger buildings. And there's definitely those that are happening. So Gary Milborn does not want to compromise the gospel in order to grow big. But I also don't want to just say, well, we're the frozen chosen, and we're here, and it's just we're satisfied with us, you know, 75 people. I, I don't want that to be the case either. There's got to be a balance. We want to grow. But So we're not looking at this from a formulaic standpoint. Like, well, if you do this, this, and this, and you market your church this way, and you have these strategies. No, we want to get back to what the Word of God says. So as we look at these eight reasons, which are just simple facts as why these things happen, I want to look at a biblical reason, and more so a biblical solution, as to why why and how we can fix this. And we can start with what's called the Ephesians principle. Talking about the church... In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, And when he, who's he in this verse? Jesus. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. In other words, when Jesus went down into Hades, not burning in hell, suffering punishment, not, that's not true. He, he went on the cross and suffered all the punishment. But he went down to Hades and left those who were in Abraham's bosom. Remember, he told the thief on the cross, Today you'll be with me, not in heaven, but in paradise. Okay, he went down there, and all those people who had been saved in the Old Testament, he brought them out, those captives, and took them. And then he gave gifts to men. And here's the gifts that he gave. He gave these gifts to his church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, which is a church planters, those spreading the gospel and starting new churches like, like Apostle Paul. And then shepherds and teachers, which in the Hebrew, I mean, sorry, in the Greek, there's no end. It's shepherd slash teacher. It's one office, that's why I have it underlined in all in white there like that, because it's shepherd teacher, which is like the elders and those who have the, the ability to dispense the word of God and lead the church spiritually. And why did he give all these gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and these shepherd teachers to the church? He gave them to the church so to equip the saints. Who is the saints? Isn't that pious people who've done miracles and look like this? Right? That Okay, no. Without, a saint is any sanctified one who is in Christ. So raise your hand if you're a saint this morning. Yeah, if you know Christ, you are a saint. <clears throat> and our job, my primarily is my job, is as the shepherd teacher of the flock, is to equip you, to give you the equipment that you need. And what do you need? You need to know sound theology. You know, need to know the Word of God. You need to know about the plan of salvation so you can share the gospel with others. You need to know about your own spiritual gifts and how God wants to use you in those ways. My job is to equip you, but why? For what? For the work of the ministry. Oh, no, 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 Gary, that's your job. 
You do the work of the ministry. We pay you, and we enjoy it. No, no, no. The Bible says my job is to give you the equipment so that you can minister to one another and to the lost. And that, that's what I need to do a better job of. But the purpose of that is the work of the ministry is for the building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. The church is the body of Christ. And you are to build one another up. So let me ask you, how are we doing in that as a church? How am I doing as far, and the elders, how are we doing equipping you? And how are you doing as far as working and working for the ministry? And how are we doing as building up the body of Christ? That brings us to the first reason churches don't grow. It's because the pastor is the primary caregiver. This is a bad thing, okay? Number one reason churches don't grow is that if you're getting care, it's probably coming from the pastor. I don't think that's the case here. I don't think that's our worst problem. I think sometimes it's that way. But like I know, for example, last night, many of you know, Linda Colville's brother passed away, her twin brother that she was close to, and she's having a hard time with that. But she's been struggling with that and several other things. But you know who's been primary caregiver for her in that way? Patrick and Stacy have probably had more contact with her than I have. I've had contact with her. But they've been doing that work of the ministry. And there's other ministries that go on in this church that I like. I have no clue what's going on. And that's actually a good thing. And many churches that are small, they stay small because if the, if it, if the pastor doesn't do it, it doesn't get done. But there is a ton of stuff that gets done around here that I don't even know what's happening. And that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. I don't want to be one of those pastors that's a dictator where everything has to be done my way or it's the highway. I, I, there's a lot of things that go on that I don't even know about, and that's, that's fine. But the care for one another should be from the body primarily. That doesn't mean I shouldn't care for people. But it is amazing, and this happens, when someone's in the hospital and you guys organize the meals, and you guys take them to people, and, and I don't even know what is happening. That's a great thing when there's, when there's a lot of care for one another going on, and you guys do a good job of that. We want to continue. Can we do a better job? Yes, we can. We want it to get to where you can look to several leaders, uh, several men and women who are saying, hey, did you hear that so-and-so broke their ankle? Let's go over there and take care of things for them. Let's go and mow their yard. Those are the kind of things that you hear about at Revolution Church, and that's the kind of things I want to, to see continue that we all want to see. Romans chapter 15, verse 14 says, Paul is speaking here. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and watch this, and able to instruct one another. The word instruct here is also translated sometimes counsel. Now what's interesting is there's two things that happen usually first in a church that aren't necessarily good. Someone is struggling with their marriage and they, they want to make an appointment to get counseling with the pastor. That's a good thing. So one thing that's not as good is some people having, having trouble, emotional problems, depression, marriage, whatever, and they go to get counsel outside the church. That's not always plan A. It's not horrible, but it's not always the best thing either. But you know what plan A is? Is when they go to one another. Just, just uh, about two weeks ago, I was having coffee with one of our members, and they were telling me about how for the last six months they've been struggling with something really serious in their own personal life. But they said, but it's getting better because I've been getting together with several men in our church, and they've been helping me. I didn't even know that was going on. And then, like, that is great. That's the way that things should be, to where you guys are able to counsel one another. 
What is the greatest resource that we hold in our hands that makes us competent to counsel one another? It's the Word of God. When we can open up the Word of God and say, hey, this verse really helped me. And, and I was going through what you were going through years ago, and this, this verse really helped me. And you can do that, and you can pray for one another. You can get together. You can go over each other's homes. You can take each other out to lunch. You can encourage one another. You don't have to say, well, I need to get an appointment with the pastor. You're more than welcome to, and I would love to, to do that. But when you see the body taking care of itself, and the burden doesn't does, does fall on one person or on four elders, it falls on the whole body. That, you know, there's approximately 100 people caring for one another. Notice that there's two, uh, ca two characteristics or two prerequisites that make you competent or able to instruct or counsel one another. Number one, it's you're full of goodness. We talked about how God is good, amen? And that if God's goodness is flowing through your life, not, not that you're perfect because none of us are, but you're living a, 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 li a life that, that is pleasing to the Lord and you're walking with Him. And number two, you're filled with knowledge Knowledge from where? From the Word. When, the, when you're living the Word and you know the Word, then you're able to counsel. You can see where if you are not living right, but you know your Bible, <laughs> you don't, people don't want to hear advice from you because it looks hypocritical. Because you're not living the Word, but you do. you got a lot of book knowledge. Or what if you flip that? You're living a really good life, but you really don't know your Bible. You, people aren't going to listen to that either. You know, you can be good, but maybe you're not growing enough. You, maybe you need to, to grow in the knowledge of the Word. So, do you have to be a Bible scholar to counsel someone? No. Just tell them what you know and look for advice from one another and turn to one another. Don't turn to a therapist or medication first, if at all. Don't always turn to me first, although my door is always open and you're welcome. I say my door. I don't even have an office here. <laughs> I'll meet you wherever, but I can meet you here. But um, make sure those two ingredients are present in your life to where you're living the Word. Again, not perfect. You know the Word. You're studying. And then that puts you in a situation where if someone loses a loved one, guess who is the ones that rally around them? Their life group rallies around them. Their church members rally around them. Their best friends that are here rally around them, and you can do it. Satan will tell you you're not, that you're not qualified, but the Bible says that you, you are. Galatians 5.13 says, for you were called to freedom. When you got saved, you were set free. Amen? You know, Satan had you in chains. He had you bound and, and, and to your sin, and more importantly, he had you alienated from God, which is where he wanted you. But when you got saved, you were set free from all that. But Paul gives a very serious warning here. He says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. See, one of the biggest criticisms against the way we believe in salvation is, oh, you, if you believe that, you believe you can get saved and do whatever you want. Yeah, you can. But Paul's saying, but don't. Don't take that freedom you have that's free to do whatever you want to just say, well, I'm going to make myself happy. I'm going to do whatever I want to please me. No, what should you do with it? You should, but through love, serve who? One another. Your job as a Christian is to serve one another. When you're changing diapers over there in this room on the other side of the wall, you're serving one another. When you step up to teach a Bible class, you're serving one another. When you take your turn to clean the church once a month, you're serving one another. When you mow, when you help with vacation Bible school, when you go to camp as a counselor, all those things are serving one another. You see, many times people look at church like a grocery store. You know, well, I go in to get what I want, and if the price is right and the service is friendly, then I'll go back to that place. And really, it's all about me. 
You know, did they treat me right? Did they talk to me right? Did anybody talk to me? Whatever. You should be going every Sunday morning and all throughout the week saying, how can I serve my church family? How can I serve the body of Christ called Revolution Church? What can I do? And everybody is unique. Everybody has different ways of serving. Some people play instruments. Some people can clean. Some people can teach. There's all kinds of things. What kind of gifts has God given to you? And are you using them to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, many churches don't grow because they lose that sense of service. They go from, they go from a service mentality to a consumer mentality. And that's why you, we've seen the birth of the megachurches, because people just want to go, put on a great show. Oh, that's my favorite song. Man, that sermon was funny. I really liked that. Great. Air conditioning felt great. The seats were comfortable. All right, my kids had fun. Let's go home. And it's a consumer mentality. And so it's like, hey, we're here to serve you. And so therefore, that's why you see churches that have 45 people on staff paid to do all the work of the ministry so that everybody can be entertained and be comfortable. And I don't want to do that. I want us to be a church where we're volunteers, lay people, just organically, naturally doing what each other needs and finding needs and meeting them and serving one another. The second reason that churches don't grow, according to these statistics here, is that the leaders lack a clear strategy. Like, what is our church's strategy to get from 95 people to 145 people. What, well, how are we going to get from here to there? Well, let me talk to you about that a little bit. John 1.45 says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him to whom the law, in Mo, in the, I'm sorry, Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote. In other words, the whole Testament has been telling us that a Messiah is coming. Guess what? We found him. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, everybody read to me what says in yellow, come and see, come and see. That is one way to reach people, is to say, hey, we've got this great thing going on here at Revolution Church. We worship Jesus Christ. God is blessing and doing great things. People are growing. People are being set free. Why don't you come and see? And inviting people to church is great. There's a lot of you who are here this morning because someone got over their shyness and invited you to church. And that's a great thing, that the whole come and see strategy, it still works. It worked back then. There's a second strategy that Jesus gave us in Mark chapter 16. And it says, he said to the disciples, go into all the world and proclaim, share, have conversations about the gospel to everybody, the whole creation. So we see there's a come and see strategy and there's a go and tell strategy. They, they both work. Wait, let's talk about them for just a second here. Under the come and see strategy, there's personally inviting people. Still in the top one, two, three of statistically of how people come to church. Interesting statistic. It said that 68% of non-church goers said they would go if a friend invited them. Wow. That, that seems like that number's high. But there are people who are truly open. They want to know that you care. And we, we think there's a whole world out there that just hates Christians. Well, the media wants you to think that. But there's also a lot of people in Brookside Village and Pearland and beyond, who, man, it's just not part of their lifestyle, but, wow, I, I like you, and, yeah, we've had lunch together. Sure, I'll go, you know, and you may have to invite them once, twice, three times, four times, you know, and some of you have that testimony where you were invited so many times that you decide, you know what, just to get them off my back, I guess I'll go. And, of course, then you realize, wow, they're not a bunch of weird aliens in there. They, they really do seem like decent people. You know, the second biggest way that people find Revolution Church is through Google. 
In fact, when we were located at Bounstown, if you Googled churches in Pearland, we came up really high. We were like number two or three. But then we've moved three times since then, and other information has hurt our algorithm, and now we, it, it got all the way down to where it wasn't even on the first four pages. Well, a friend of mine gave me some advice on that to fix it, and I can only do so much for free. Now we have a company that's helping to work on that, and they've got us from 36 down to 22 on the average search. But that's still way off the page, okay? We're, we're working on that, but uh, we want to help our Google. So things, ways you can help with the Google li listing is write reviews, share the links to our website on other social media. The more that it's all over the web, the higher the algorithm reads it, and so we will climb that ladder. But anyway, we have people who will find us um, on Google. Now that we have a building, we are getting more and more people for the drive-thru. We used to get lots of drive-by from people who said we... We saw it at Bountown because we had a lot of visible presence there because we knew the owner, and so it worked out pretty good. Um, but uh, church directories. I got a phone call a couple weeks ago from a lady who just got saved because she saw an ad from the Billy Graham Evangelistic so Association talking about being stressed and tired, and when she was dealing with anxiety, she called. They prayed with her. They asked her if she knew Christ. She said, well, I don't know. I'm trying. And they led her to Christ over the phone. And they said, now you need to find a good Bible-believing church. And guess who's listed on the Billy Graham Evangelistic as a church for this area to be referred to? Us. So she said she's going to be hope her and her husband come and check out services soon. Um, also, we've had people visit from the Nine Marks directory. Um, other people found us on different things like that. So posting us. We, I worked several, uh, several months ago. I worked really hard on getting us posted on every directory I could think of, including the two that I just mentioned. Community events. Once in a while, we have people come because we did a water slide day. We did vacation Bible school. We did a July 4th picnic. It doesn't happen as much as I'd like to. I think Brookside Village is kind of going to be a, a, a slow process of earning trust in the community, but with our sign and things like that and community events and then also advertising, but that's last. Um, the postcards that we spent a lot of money on and we sent out, we mailed out, I think we've had three families visit because of that after we put out thousands of those, you know, Old-fashioned advertising always work as well, but it's not any one of those. We need to try all of them, but keep in mind that personal invitation is still the best. And so be thinking, be praying about who you might invite to church, someone who needs Jesus. But there's also the go-and-tell method. We don't have, if we wait till people come into this building to hear the gospel, we're failing. If we wait, if we just want, want them to come to us, we need to do what Jesus said, go-and-tell. And I've shared you with you that acronym BLESS, right? What does the B stand for? Where's Eliana when we need her? Okay, what's the B stand for? Who remembers? Begin with prayer, all right? The L is for what? Listen, listen carefully. E is for eat with them. Sit down, have a meal with them, a cup of coffee, something. S is serve them. Good job. And, the, and then finally that leads you up to the, the other S, which is share, it, we really going to have to intentionally think about slowing down our lives. We're not so busy to where we can make these things happen. Pray that God will bring someone in your life that you can have a conversation with. You can listen to them, hear their life story, eat with them, serve them. Hey, help them move, can I, you know, do your yard, whatever, and then, then share. And again, you can always skip a step. Maybe you don't do their yard. You can go straight from eating to sharing the gospel, but the, it's a good model to follow. What, um, it's been a long time since I've showed this video, but it's worth repeating. And turn, make sure the volume's nice and loud. 
When was the last time you had a conversation with someone specifically to win them to Christ? As Christians, we need to get into the habit of preaching the gospel to those around us. Unfortunately, many churches are filled with people who don't do much when it comes to evangelism. So come along now and hear the parable of the fishless fisherman's fellowship. The fishermen were surrounded by streams and lakes full of hungry fish. They met regularly to discuss the call to fish, the abundance of fish, and the thrill of catching fish. They got excited about fishing. Someone suggested that they needed a philosophy of fishing, so they carefully defined and redefined fishing. They also developed fishing strategies and tactics. They began research studies and attended conferences on fishing. Some traveled to faraway places to study different kinds of fish with different habits. A few even got doctorates in fishology. But no one had yet gone fishing. So a committee was formed to send out fishermen. As prospective fishing places outnumbered fishermen, the committee needed to determine priorities. A priority list of fishing places was posted on bulletin boards in all the fellowship halls, but still no one was fishing. A survey was launched to find out why. Most didn't answer the survey, but from those who did, it was discovered that some felt called to study fish, a few to furnish fishing equipment, and several to go around encouraging the fishermen. With so many important meetings, conferences, and seminars, they just simply didn't have time to fish. Now, Jake was a newcomer to the Fisherman's Fellowship. After one stirring meeting of the fellowship, he went fishing and caught a large fish. At the next meeting, he told his story and was honored for his catch. He was told that he had a special gift of fishing. He was then scheduled to speak at all the fellowship chapters and tell everyone how he did it. With all the speaking invitations and his election of the board of directors, Jake no longer had time to go fishing. But soon, he began to feel restless and empty. He longed to feel the tug on the line once again. So he canceled the speaking, he resigned from the board, and he said to a friend, hey, let's go fishing. That's exactly what the two of them did. And lo and behold, they caught fish. The members of the Fisherman's Fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful, but the fishermen were few. In Mark 1:17, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. When it comes to event, doesn't fish. If that's the case, you can trust him. He will make you a fisher of men. All right, now that's a funny way to prove a very necessary point. Statistically speaking, less than 2% of born-again Christians ever have a gospel conversation. It's pretty bad. I think the problem is, number one, we think we don't know how because we think it's some complicated thing, and so we're intimidated because we don't know enough. Number two, we're kind of too concerned about what people think. Well, what if they reject me? What if they don't like me? What if I get in trouble at work or whatever it may be? Let me just give you a few things that, that will help. Number one, we've already talked about bless, okay? And, and try that model. Pray about it. Think about it. The number two, this is the easiest way. Ask questions. Just ask questions. You don't have to come up and say, hey, if you died today, would you go to hell? You know, you don't have to be that blunt, you know, or say, hey, I, I want to tell you about the gospel. You sit down and listen to me. Ask questions like, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Do you believe in an afterlife? And just by asking that question, just watch where it goes and watch where the Holy Spirit takes it. 
And then you say, well, I don't know if I have enough Bible verses memorized or whatever. You simply just share what you already know. You're saved. You know about that. And just say, well, let me just share something that's important. Here's what I think about. You've already asked them what they think. Now it's your turn to say what you think. But I believe all this begins with prayer. And I believe that we as Revolution Church, will, if we will get excited about what God is doing in our life, that we will go out and God will open doors. That you will bump into people that God has arranged and he has orchestrated that meeting so that you can say, hey, I've been thinking about you. you, do you have any, what do you believe spiritually? And they'll tell you and open up and say, well, let me, can I tell you what, I, what I've been, God's been doing in my life for the last few years? And you just share with them what God is doing. So would you take a moment right now and just pray and ask God that maybe he'll bring somebody or several somebodies into your life so that you can have that gospel conversation? And then I'll pray for us in a second. Father in heaven, you've done so much for us. Help us not to take it for granted. Help us to realize what an amazing sacrifice Christ made that we should become so in love with him that we can't help but tell. In Jesus' name, amen. So number three, true leaders aren't lead leading. The true leaders aren't leading. You, have, you see this all throughout the New Testament. In 3 John 9, it says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, the King James says, have the preeminence, is that he wants to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. There's always people in churches, and, and I don't think that we have this problem here in a very open way, but if you get in a church where people want to just lead in a certain direction and they want it to be about them or what they're doing or what's most important to them and not what's best for the whole church, it can be unhealthy. And again, I... I um, when I became pastor of First Baptist Church in Clute, uh, there was a guy there, uh, I won't say his name, but anyway, he's passed away, but he pretty much ran that church. And whoever became I mean, his pastor, and they've gone through several pastors, um, had to deal with him. And he kind of made sure to keep him under his thumb. And I, and I developed a relationship with this guy, but I also knew that instead of the church running about 190, which it was, and him being in control of about 100 of them, I just needed to grow the church and outgrow him. And so I just kind of hit the ground running. Long story short, we were the church before I got there was averaging 190 last quarter. By the following Easter, we had 365 in church, and we stayed up there. And so then when we voted on things, his little group voted here, but all these new people voted with me. <laughs> and it was everything worked out fine that way. But you need to realize in a situation, even if you have a leadership potential, leadership abilities, you need to use it not for yourself, but for the Lord. And I'm saying this pretty much preemptive because I don't think we have this issue here. I mean, our elders, when we vote on things, we're always unanimous. Everything seems to be great in that regard. But even if it's on a small scale, we all need to be careful that it's not about us and that we're using our leadership abilities. And, and if you have leadership abilities, are you using them in the church? Are you using them to, to lead a class? And my plan for adult Sunday school here is that eventually this class breaks out and goes into several different directions. We're going to need several people who are leaders, men and women, to be able to take that and to, to take that authority and actually lead and not hold on to that gifts. So we need to continue discipling not just men and women, but especially younger men. We, we're going to need... Patrick's our youngest elder right now, okay? And he's old. No, actually, how, just seriously, how old are you, Patrick? 51. 51. So we need elders in their 30s and 40s. So... 
We've been meeting with younger men, having coffee with elders. I meet up with a certain group of guys. And working on that, having new elders come up, new deacons come up, ladies, discipling ladies, and all those things. We need to work and pray for that. Number four, volunteers are unempowered. They feel like they can't really be free to do what they want to do. Again, I don't think this is a major issue for us, but let's read what Ephesians says about that. It says, from whom the whole body, that means everybody, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, and when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the question is, what percentage of people are working, serving, and doing their part? They say it's what's called Pareto's Principle, the 80, also known as the 80-20 rule, that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. I think that number is a little higher for us. I would say that probably 80% of the work is done by maybe 35% of the people. But the ideal would be that 100% of the work is done by what? 100% of the people. Everybody doing their part. Now, there's always going to be new people who haven't really found their place yet. There's always going to be some people who, you know, they're just doing their thing. But we need to develop in our culture to where we used to say everybody serves. Whether it's a small place as a greeter or, or serving cleaning or whatever it may be, everybody finds their place. And, and just like in your body, if you have a limb that doesn't work, not only does it not help the rest of the body, but the rest of the body has to help it and dress it and clean it. We need to be where we're, on, we're always giving and not always on the receiving end. Number five, the governance, those in charge, they micromanage. And again, I don't think we have this problem. I think right now we have the opposite. We're probably not giving enough management. We're not probably not giving enough leadership, uh, leadership to those resources, and we need to fix that as well. But Romans chapter 12, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. There's all kinds of gifts in this room, okay? But we need to use them. The worst thing about having a gift is not using it. I mean, some people say, well, I don't have any gifts. We all have gifts. But worse than not having a gift would be not even using it. And here's a whole list of gifts, prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, contributing or giving, leading, and mercy. And, and these, I don't believe this is an exhaustive list. You say, well, yeah, I didn't see mine up there. I don't think this is meant to be these are the gifts, limited right here. I think there's lots of gifts that are not on this list. But what is yours? What is what has God given you that is unique to you that you can use to serve Revolution Church? You see, too many people see the church like this, a cruise ship. You get on board, you go where it's going. There's people walking around with drinks with little umbrellas in it and all kinds of food and buffet and people come by and clean your room and everybody has a great time and man you love this cruise ship because everybody treats you so well the church is not really a cruise ship it's more like a battleship everybody has a job and we're in a war we are in a spiritual war with the devil we're, there are lost people out there who need to hear the, the gospel of jesus christ and everybody on that ship has a job to do some people are firing a gun some people are mopping the deck some people are steering the boat. There's all different jobs. Everybody needs to find and function in that capacity. Number six, too many meetings. Again, I don't think we have this problem. I think we're on the other side. You know, our, our life groups right now are taking a longer than normal break. I'm hoping we'll fix that here soon. But we need to have probably more meetings. But how many of you have ever been a part of a church where it was Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night visitation, Saturday morning bus ministry? Ever been a part of those? Those were too many meetings, okay? That, those were things that burnt people out. 
But we need, we're on, on the other end of the spectrum. I don't think we're doing enough, but I just wanted to share this because that's what he had in the list. But I also want to talk about First Timothy 2 says, pray for kings and all those in authority that we may have a calm and quiet life in all the fear of God and serious behavior. You know, the Lord wants you to have a calm and quiet life. But you know what we do? We're so busy. We work so much. We got 16 soccer games or baseball games to go to with our kids and practices. And we've got things at the house. We have projects. And it doesn't seem like we have time for these things. And God's saying, that's not what I want for you. I want your life to calm down. I want for your life to quiet down. Why? So that you'll have time for ministry. So time to do the things, to share the gospel with your neighbor, to take a meal to a church member who just lost a loved one. Did we have time to do these very things? Several years ago, I talked to you about the model of simple church, and that's what we want. We want our church to focus on three simple things. Worship God passionately, love people genuinely, start a revolution. And we just wanted to just say, hey, get yourself in church, get yourself in the word, get yourself in a life group. Take care of those things so that you're growing and you're sharing and you're doing all those things. Um, this is what I shared back then. Um, worship God passionately. And under that, there was a couple of points. So we're under worship God passionately, that means we make worshiping together weekly a priority. Is it a priority? Is One of the ways that our church will grow is if our... Because it, let me just back up. In elections, they think you've got to get the undecided vote. That's not true. Those who win elections get the base out. If the Democrats get more of their people out than Republicans are out, that's who wins, or vice versa. Everybody thinks you have to get the undecided. No, it's, it's motivating the base, rallying the base. And so what's interesting is if you look on paper, we probably have about 123 people who attend this church regularly. It doesn't look like it right now, <laughs> does it? If everybody who came to this church in the last three months was here, and th those, that's counting people who plan on coming back, not just been here once, but they called this their church, we'd fill this place up. And what's funny is, if a, let's say a young couple with twins walks in our church, which happened recently, and they see that you have kids the same age as theirs, they feel connected. They could love my preaching or not like it, whatever, that may or may not matter. They can like the music or not like it, that may or may not matter. But they see another family that they're connected to, especially if you know them, then they feel like, okay, yeah, I think we could fit in here. That's really one part of the biggest decisions people make is, can I fit in here? Should that be the decision-making? I don't know, probably not. But what's funny is sometimes a family comes in and she's a nurse. And I'm like, oh, we have a nurse. Here. Oh, no, she's not here today. <laughs> oh, we have a guy that's an engineer. Oh, yeah, but he's not here today. And sometimes we're not making connections because we're not here. I was thinking about this a couple months ago. How many Sundays a year should we miss? How many, how many Sundays a year should we miss? You're going you're gonna to be sick probably once, right? That's okay. I understand that. I mean, everybody's going to get sick and you're going to miss. You know, sometimes it's kind of weird that the four-year-old has a runny nose and the whole family stays home to blow the nose, evidently. You know, we, sometimes you can say, hey, you stay home. Let's flip a coin. One of y'all stay home and one of us go. But anyway, how much do we miss? Um, I realize that probably maybe once a year and for several of you, many times a year, your job you, it, you, you have to go in because there's a crisis at work. Some of you work on call. Some of you work shift work. I understand that. It's kind of when we choose to work that it becomes a problem. I understand that you, you may go on vacation. You know, I understand that. So what are we up to, four or five a year? But do you know the average church attender att attends one and a half Sundays a month? One and a half. Okay, that's average. And again, that's not the chur our church average. Ours may be close to it. 
But just being here causes church growth. Because you connect with other people, you connect with new people. Praise God, um, Lisa and Eric are new to Revolution. Give them a hand, we're glad they're here. And, and part of that was on the Sunday they were here, there was people that connected with them, made them feel comfortable. And then they continued to look at other churches and they decided to come back and give us a second try. And they decided, okay, this is the place. And so, but you know what? They and others like them won't stay if we don't do life together. If we don't say, hey, you all got plans for lunch? You know, or hey, can, you want to meet for coffee sometime? Or give them a call or a text and just say, hey, how's it going? Let you know I'm praying for you. Those kind of things are, are, if we make the Sunday morning service a priority, that's when the encouragement happens, but it can't happen when you're not here. So Sunday morning isn't just about what you get. Well, I was encouraged by the message. I really enjoyed the music. No, what did you give? Worship Jesus weekly, but also I don't want, none of us want to be Sunday morning Christians. Amen? We want to walk with Jesus daily. Be in the word be on your knees, be praying, and then love people generally. There's two things there. I won't spend much time. We want stay connected with your lost friends, but also stay connected to a life group. Find people in community that you're believers that you're socializing with, but also stay in touch with your lost friends so that you can have relationships there. And then start a revolution happens by serving Jesus, find your place of ministry, and that ultimately leads to the most important thing, and that's sharing Jesus, as we already talked about. Basically, it boils down to this worship, discipleship and fellowship. All three are important. All three are crucial. Number seven, too many events and programs that lead nowhere. Now, there was a church in Houston that spent about $45,000 a year on a big Christmas parade. And they asked everybody, they asked them, how many people come to your church as a result of that? And the numbers were like significantly low. And like $45,000 a year every year to do this big Christmas event. Like, what if you give that 45000 to missionaries? Or what if you did that 45000 to equip your people to go out to the neighborhoods and share the gospel? And the pastor said, but they won't do it. They'd rather do a Christmas event. I, I, I don't know that we have that problem. There are some events that we have to look at. We'd have to question, that, does Vacation Bible School work? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Does a Fourth of July picnic work? All the different things that we do, we have to look at each one and evaluate, is it reaching people? Because sometimes you can do things just because that's what we do, and it becomes a tradition. We don't, I don't think we're there. We're too young of a church to have that happen, and we're not that established. But Jesus said, in vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, and you can even insert traditions, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, and you hold fast the tradition of men. We don't want to do anything around here because that's the way we normally do it. And I don't think we have that problem much, but we're not immune to it. Finally, the last one, the pastor suffers from a desire to please everybody. What do you think? Is that true? Okay. <laughs> I'm messing with you. I was, I was just concerned what you think. But anyway, um, everybody struggles with that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not perfect, obviously. I'm human. And I, sometimes this, this, this does bother me. And, but one of the things I, that holds me in check is obviously I have three other elders who help me with these things. But number two is but just by preaching verse by verse, then I have to preach this. <laughs> I have to preach on the tough things. I, don't, I can't avoid those subjects because it might offend or bother a segment of the church. So that's something we want to pray about and think about, but we need to be careful that we're not trying to please people. We're trying to please who? The Lord Jesus, right? So therefore, I'm just going to preach the Word. I'm going to go verse by verse through the Scriptures. I'm going to be doing that whether it's popular or whether it's not. And then that means I have to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. 
all three of them, or at least two of the three of them, seem somewhat negative. But that's part of preaching. It isn't pop psychology. It isn't make you feel good sermons. It isn't ne- ne- meant to necessarily make you feel bad all the time. It just means you're correcting problems, you're preaching against things, and then you're encouraging or exhorting everyone to do what is right, and that requires patience and systematic teaching. And it says, it goes on to say, for the time is coming, that's the day we live in now, when people will not endure sound teaching, sometimes translated doctrine, but have itching ears. You know, just entertain me, tickle my ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Churches that teach weak sermons, feel-good sermons, just something that makes you go out saying, okay, this is, everything is great. The thing, the problem is we're all sinners who need a Savior. And we don't, there's no such thing as the good news of the gospel unless you hear the bad news of sin. And so there's, I, pray for me as I try to strike that balance that it's not all bad news, but it also leads to the good news. Back to Ephesians. It says that we are to equip these saints. How are you doing? You feeling equipped? Pray for your pastor and your elders that we'll do a better job of that. Let's all step up to do the work of ministry. Let's build the body of Christ. Let's see good things happen here at Revolution Church. Because that's why Christ died. The Bible says Christ loved the church. It says he is the head of the church, which is the body, and is himself the Savior. Do you know the Savior? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? We need to make sure everyone here is saved. And then we can go out in the world into the darkness and make sure everyone hears out there so that they also can be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. Lord, our desire is to grow, not for our glory, but for the glory of Christ. Help us to see people saved, people added to the body, so we can continue to move in the right direction. And for the glory of Jesus Christ, fill this place up with people glorifying and praising Jesus. And Father, if there's one here today that does not know you, I pray that you would not give them peace until they surrender to Christ and give their life to him because he gave his life for them. So Father, I pray that you would um, just work on hearts. Help us, Lord, to go out and ask questions that start a gospel conversation. And Lord, if we can't go and tell, Lord, help us to also just say, hey, come and see. And, and Lord, put someone in our path this week. In fact, help us to go out and seek them like you did and, and have someone that we know. Maybe it's someone who lives down the street from us. Maybe it's a relative, family member, some co-worker to invite someone to church, Lord, and just believe that you will say yes. And uh, we just thank you for all you've done in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, we are going to have question and answer session, which could be interesting because it could be questions about all of this or something you learn in the Bible. Um, Ashley, would you like to help me with that? All right, so here's the number right there. You can text those in. And right now I have none, so type fast. Or you could raise your hand and ask. I'll let you hold this and see if some come in. Okay. Well, to be fair, I erased the one I was going to ask. So, um, because I have small children mm-hmm. and because, you know, the time that I spend with people face-to-face is usually at church or as I'm running from picking up to daycare and then going home and occasionally my kids' teachers, the most adult interaction I have is with people at work. But I also work from home. So all my coworkers are online. 
So it's difficult to do like the blessed method and like eat together and have those conversations when I work completely digitally. I was just wondering if you had any advice for how I can continue that conversation online. Should I tr try to focus on making more in-person connections? What do you think? No, I, that's a great, great question because that's, that's the world we live in. For many of us, uh, many of you work from home. So I, would, I, would do t I wouldn't do one thing or another. I would do two things. One, try to break out of it, the cycle and try to at least once a month make some in-person connection some way, somehow, and pray about it. I know in the past you've had like Muslim friends that you've talked to and things like that. Keep, don't give up on that. Don't settle into to giving up on the opportunity. But then number two, use what God's given you. Then start reaching out to people digitally, you know, uh, through Instagram, Facebook Messenger, texting them, whatever. Just say, hey, I just want to let you know I was thinking about you. And just have conversations, pick up the phone, whatever you may, may do. Use that, but don't give up on the in-person connections. But like Paul said, he wants us to have calm and quiet lives, and some of us are like that's nothing. We don't. I don't have anything like that, and that's that's the rat race we live in, right. and that's the American culture. And and really, I believe more than half the world doesn't live that way. They they have slowed down lives, maybe too too much slowed down. I don't know, but they they seem to have time for things more than we do, and that's unfortunate. But don't give up on the pursuit. Yeah, I heard someone saying also that part of our evangelism is to our children, if you have children. Absolutely. That you are spending time with your children. They are watching you. Like, if you go to 16 baseball games a week, they're going to think that's normal. But also, they're watching your behavior while you're at those games. Yeah, no are doubt. Are you yelling? Are you talking to someone next to you? Are you yeah. being kind, et cetera? Yeah. And then, since you brought up kids, your kids' friends Yeah, are kids' important. friends. Absolutely. You know? Kids' friends' parents, too. Yeah. We had this week, we had a friend of ours, um, one of Theo's friends, come stay the day with us. And we just had a great big old time. And I was like, he's my other other son, you know. Yeah. And we, we had a great time and we got to talk to his mom and um, and and uh, minister to her for a while, too. Yeah. So really nice. I had a friend named Dwayne Pollard who was a fireman and a deacon at Belmar Baptist Church. And then um, their uh, their pastor resigned and moved on. And so he became the interim pastor. And under him, the church grew, and he felt the call to pastor, so they voted him in as their pastor. And then the, he coached baseball for all of his kids. He had four, three sons and a daughter, so the daughter played softball, and he coached off and on for all of them. And they used that as a tool to bring kids to church. Mm -hmm. And every summer, they would bring the whole baseball team and the whole softball team to camp. And their church saw more kids stay at the camp than any other church. And their church grew from 40 to like 140 within a few years, mostly because of their connections in the community with base, Little League Baseball and Girls Softball. So use what God, the tools God's given you. Absolutely. Okay, how do I start a conversation about church without them getting mad? Assuming mad, we mean mad. Yeah. Um, they may get mad, and that's the problem if, if, if we're afraid of that. Would you rather them like you and be cool and go to hell or take the chance they might get mad? But again, I think it's all how, I mean, if somebody gets mad because you invite them to church, I think they got other issues probably. Um, but you might say, you might, that might lead to question number two. Say, hey, that obviously bothers you. What is it about church that bothers you? And then they'll say, man, 
I had a bad experience there or whatever, or my grandma made me go to this crazy church, and you can then sympathize with them and practice the L in not loser, but bl- listen, right? <laughs> right? And just listen to what I say, man, that really hurts you evidently. Why? I, I could see why that make you mad. I guess that would make me mad too if I had that same experience, but I, have, I haven't. I go to a church that's not perfect, but it's very loving and kind. It's not like that church you're talking about. And so believe me that not every church is like your bad experience. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making up a hypothetical yeah. there. I think, I think the important <clears throat> thing also is to make sure you listen first. So instead of jumping over them and being like, well, my church is not like that, try not to get defensive. L- listen carefully. Listen really carefully. Yes. Absolutely. But the Bible does say Jesus is a, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Yeah. Just bringing it up may make some people mad, but that means actually God's at work. So don't, don't avoid the tension there. We, we can't be this feely generation that doesn't, everybody's okay, nobody has a problem. We have to be able to ask the questions, even if it makes us and them uncomfortable. Yep. So, okay, how can Christian brothers and sisters get over gossip or other personal issues? How can we honor God with this? Sure. Um, How do we get over gossip and other issues? Well, one is don't do it, (laughs) right? Okay, but realize also you're going to a church with imperfect people, so there's going to be all kinds of sins there, and gossip is one of them. Uh, Unless I'm in the dark or, uh, what's the word, naive, I don't think it's a major issue here. I think it happens, but I don't think, I've been to churches where gossip ran the show. <laughs> Some of y'all have been to churches like that, right? I don't think that's the case here, okay? Again, I'm not trying to sweep it under the rug, but then again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm oblivious. Did you have a rule about gossip? What was the rule about gossip? Like, if it's not building a person up, mm-hmm. what is it? Um, it? I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, if it's not edifying, well, it was a whole list of things. Yeah, it's like basically if yeah. if you're not if you are not speaking about someone to build them up in a way that builds them yeah. up, um, or if you are speaking to more than one person about processing your personal feelings, that's gossiping. Yeah, and so the big question, and, and some of you've heard me say this, I was like, well, have you talked to them about this? Right. Put it back on them. What is Matthew 18? If you have a problem with someone, you go talk to what them between them and you alone. That's important. And the problem is we don't even get, that's step one. We, most of us don't practice that consistently. We talk about them instead of to them. But as long as we keep doing that, and we keep having conversations, the hard conversations. I remember it was about four months ago, someone uh, came to me with an issue, and I said, well, have you talked to them about that? They said, no, I haven't. I want to get your advice. They said, well, my advice is you go talk to them. And they did, and it all worked out great. And they smoothed things out. And it was a big problem. It was actually a pretty serious problem. But it was something that was said it was highly offensive, and they, they, the other person apologized, and it was, it was, it resolved really well. Yeah. The other part is refusing to, to, um, to participate. It's right. So if someone comes to you, and they're like right. trying to tell you, they're like, you know, I really don't think that this is yeah. proper. We should not talk about that. Yeah. I've, I've done that before. It's actually been pretty, pretty helpful at home in my, my family. Uh, sometimes they'll talk about each other like you know what I really don't think we should yeah, it works for your this. family too like I don't I don't want to talk about it right. okay last question how can church families prepare our teens for dating with dating for dating how can we prepare teens for dating yeah okay wow great question well I don't know I have mixed feelings that because dating is an American concept <laughs> most I mean the other parts of the world are starting to do what only because they see us do it on television but most of the world up until about 34 years ago there's a lot of arranged marriages, but you didn't see this. You saw at least more of a courtship thing going on, which I'm more inclined to do. I think probably the biggest problem with dating is that most people do it way too young, way too young. 
our, our heart, so when you get emotionally, especially if you get physically bonded to someone, the Bible says you become one flesh. And then when you break up, it's like super glue in your hands and then rip it apart. There's going to be a lot of blood and tears and, and pain. And so, and we're putting 12, 13, 14 year olds through this process. It's not, they're not meant to have their hearts ripped out like that. Do you remember when you, how young you were when you first broke up with someone? I, I remember, I think I was 13 because my parents, I had no rules and her name was Mary. And when she broke up with me, I, I just cried and cried and cried. I thought that my world was over. And of course, I'm too young to even comprehend all this. And that's just way too young to even go through that pain. I think we're meant to experience that later in life when we're more mature to handle it. And I don't think we're meant to date tons of people. We're meant to, I mean, sometimes it's a trial and error, like, oh, this one didn't work out. But we're, I, I believe, my personal conviction is, you date to marry. So if you're not ready to get married, you shouldn't probably be dating. You date to find this person. Are they the one that God is leading to me for me to do? Otherwise, what am I dating for? Casual Almost sex, or what am I dating for? What's what's the whole point? I, I really don't know. But that's again, that's my personal preference. Um, I think we just need to get them to fall in love with Jesus as much as possible, and then help them find, help them fall in love with someone who loves Jesus. And that, that's why I've made it abundantly clear to all my kids. I don't care if the guy or girl is black, purple, white, or green. I don't care if they, as long as they love Jesus. That's the most important thing. And so that's probably the best thing you can do for your kids. Would you recommend like learning about social interactions with people who are the opposite sex and not related to you? In group settings. In group settings. In okay. group, settings. Yeah. group settings are best. Stay in a group. There's accountability. You can't. I don't know of anybody who's ever gotten pregnant in a group setting. So I think <laughs> it, it, bad things can't happen when you're in a group. Okay? Well, then you can also teach about um, uh, manners and holding the door open and things like that. Absolutely. There's so much there. And you, you actually see them interact pressure. with other people. Mm-hmm. In that group, right. you know, um, my son Lance, uh, he's married to Lindsay, and he met her at Bible college, and they were out with a group of people, and Lindsay kind of thought he was cute, but they they weren't really connected yet; they, they just knew each other, and a um, bunch of Baptist Bible college students, about seven or eight of them, having a conversation in front of a coffee shop, and then a group of Missouri State University students walked by, and one of one of them in this group knew the one in this group. And they're like, hey, how's it going? And they went over and they shook hands and they started talking. And so the two groups were there, but only two people were connecting between the groups. And Lance saw a guy over there and went over and said, hey, hey my, my name's Lance, and shook hands with him. And next thing you know, Lance is sharing the gospel with this guy. And Lindsay's watching and goes, wow, cute, and shares the gospel. <laughs> and now they're married, you know? So, but that all happened because of a group setting mm-hmm. in, in that. All right. All right. I think we had a question in the Yes, Corey. Sure. Obviously, and that. I wasn't isolating y'all, but obviously, if we're trying to, out of respect to not be contagious, that's great. I'm not. Ta- I'm talking about the extreme situations where there could have been something different. But you, you know your family better than I do. You don't know. I mean, you know how fast things spread. You don't know who else is going to catch it. So that it, I'm more referencing a gospel song. You probably heard it the one that, that re- makes a joke of that. So anyway, um, every family has to do it different. But if that makes sure, we all should make sure that's the reason. And not because I don't feel the best day. You know, there's, we go to work sometimes when we're not feeling great. All things. I'm just saying don't look to overcome obstacles when possible. So it meant, wasn't meant to be a blanket statement as in come get us all sick and spread COVID. That's <laughs> definitely not what I'm encouraging you to do. So you have a follow-up on that? I hope I answered that correctly. Corey wants your approval, Gary. <laughs> yeah. All I'm saying is just we, 
we do our best, and like there's other areas of life that we don't miss events. It seems like there's a double standard. We miss church for the least reasons, and then we still go to ball games for the same reasons we might miss church. That's a generalization that's generally true, but not always. Yes? Right, right. Yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, nobody's going to call you on the carpet and say, hey, where were you, blah, blah, blah. Nobody's that. I'm, we're just, I'm just trying to find a way, and I probably haven't done it as best I could, is just we do our best, you know. I mean, I know people who are here this morning that got very little sleep, and they're still here. And other people say, oh, we didn't come because we didn't get home until after midnight. And I was like, okay. I know people didn't get home till 3, you know, and they're here. So all I'm saying is just do your best, and not out of a legalistic thing. It's just because there's people here who need you, who need your shake, your handshake, your, your arm, their arm on their shoulder, word of encouragement. Because you know, there's some people come this morning, and the world, the life's not going right right now. But just your encouragement, your smile can make all the difference. And maybe it's that God uses you more than anybody else who might be here as well. Okay, good That's deal. It. All right, let's stand.